You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. Welcome back to Innovative Minds. I have here with me the founder of angelschool.vc, Jed. So Jed and I have gotten to know each other over a few couple of months and, you know, I just, just found him so innovative in how he thinks about angel investing and he's taught me so much in this short amount of time that I've got to know him. So I really wanted him to come on and just chat to us about angel investing, this thing called angel syndication that I got to learn about that he's deep into and just share his journey firstly with us about how he got into angel investing because I think it's something that we all look at, want to do and never get to actually experience it. So welcome, Jed. Hey, Mel. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate that. No, it's a pleasure. So tell me, Jed, about your first, you know, entry point into angel investing. Were you just an angel investor? Were you always curious? What were you doing when you first even came across angel investing as a thing? Yeah, um, I'll tell you the short version. We can deep dive into things that um, are particularly interesting. Uh, but I did grad school in uh, around 2013. Um, and after that, went into uh, tech. And I realized I had a couple of superpowers, right? One is uh, I'm really great at building businesses from zero to one in, in tech. And I could navigate between uh, startups and, and corporate environments, right? So uh, I ended up starting a few technology businesses on, on behalf of, of some corporates. Uh, my last venture was an API marketplace. Think of it as an app store for API services for developers. Uh, partnered with a company called Rapid API in 2017. Um, this startup ended up getting funding from Andreessen Horowitz and, and became a unicorn um, actually this year. Um, so that's been like really exciting. And I think, you know, startups is, is where my, my passion lies. I'm just like super fascinated by that space. And that basically became my entryway into angel investing, right? I saw angel investing as a way of basically putting capital to good use. You know, consider that for the last 10 years up to Q1, we were living in a zero yield world, right? Around the world. And, and there's all this capital floating around. So um, I, I saw angel investing as a way of like helping these great, you know, the great next generation of companies. So is it because you couldn't build enough or you don't have enough time, for example, to be part of so many ventures? Is angel investing sort of a way that you can sort of be part of many? Is that how you sort of look at it? Like what's your, why not just sort of, you know, build what you were doing and turn that into a unicorn? Why invest is my question. Sure. I think you hit the nail on the head, right? There's only so many hours in a day. When you're doing a startup or something from zero to one, it's just all consuming. Um, you know, in the meantime, if you've got capital on the side and you want to help other companies, um, you know, this is one way to get involved. So you had already built companies and then you got into going, okay, I want to do angel investing. Where at 
that journey do you go from angel investing to angel syndication is that sort of you know a progressive journey in itself it sounds like you move from founder led and started you know with all the founder then you became okay now I'm going to angel invest so I can get more access is the next stage angel syndication I would say so, right? Um, so I think you're, you're quite astute in, in the, some of the things or the patterns that you're recognizing. Firstly, I don't think that there is that much difference between uh, entrepreneurs or founders and investors, right? Very often, they are two sides of the same coin. There's something fundamentally um, common that drives these personas, right? It's like risk appetite, intellectual curiosity, wanting to give back, be part of a mission, these things drive us. So that's the first thing. Uh, and the other thing is that for most angel investors, uh, we start out learning, investing our own capital. We get to a point where um, you start running out of money or you know, you're deploying capital too much into this asset class, which is fundamentally like much higher risk than you know equities investing, for example. And then people either pull back or some people decide, okay, I can build a syndicate and, and that lets me scale up. Right? And that's certainly been my experience as well or, or what's motivated me to take that next step. You know, Jed, I worked in banking and finance um, for about seven years before I started my own company. And so I would look at, you know, corporates and lend to them in the vicinity of, you know, 10, 20, sometimes 5 mil vicinity. The way we looked at it back in the banks, it was always based on, you know, revenue, profit, EBITDA, multiple of times 2.5 times 3 is what I would, you know, be comfortable lending on a cash flow lend. I guess I'm curious to know when you're doing angel investing, and I don't know if the sophistication changes at the syndication level if you become more sophisticated, what kind of metrics are you looking at? Um, because these companies are usually, it looks like, not yet in full revenue mode, or correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I, first of all, I didn't know you had a, a prior life before, you know, having your own company in banking, but, you know, everyone usually does. So thanks for sharing that. I'd say that for, for angel investing, the level of um, financial sophistication or the amount of focus that we focus in, in that area tends to be a lot less, right? It, it does vary by the stage of the company, but we, we look at broad metrics. Uh, for me, what's important to, is we are looking at the unit economics of the business, looking at how revenue drives down to like gross profit, uh, and that translates to, to bottom line, right? Basically the capital intensity of the business. Beyond that, it's about scaling. How quickly can you scale and, and drive those economics down the model? I mean, that's my perspective of it. Um, and in, when we look at things like valuation, we generally look at broad metrics. Uh, we look at top line multiples. For me personally, you know, I don't really invest in, in pre-revenue companies just because we invest in software and I expect great founders to be able to ship product on their own before um, raising capital, right? And to be able to sell. So yeah, for us, we are looking at revenue, applying a multiple and looking at their growth and basically how the economics of that business translates, you know, down to their P&L, right? That's a very abstracted way of looking at a business. Certainly, I imagine it's a less bottom line focus than, you know, uh, the banking sphere. 
So if you are sort of looking at similar figures, you're looking at Rev, you're looking at that EBITDA line as well. I'm guessing then the difference between banking and what you're doing is that banks probably give about 2.5 times, three times max multiple on any business, but you're probably doing much higher multiples. And that's probably the risk right there is you're valuating it on future of what you think that the company could do a lot more than where the banks are like, okay, this is what you've done historically. And I'll just give you a multiple on that average. Is that, would you say that's a difference? You're really doing much more forecasted analysis? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, because you think about it, if an early stage company doesn't make that much sense to use like EBITDA, right? Basically it's, it's completely skewed because it's so early and that they're tiny. Right. And, and so there's no multiple on EBITDA that really makes sense. Right. Anybody who looks at that is just going to bulk. But yeah, we are, you know, in effect, buying into the future growth uh, of, of the company. How much analysis is done to assess that future growth? I mean, how do you get in and really know what the future growth is? Do you spend a lot of time doing industry analysis on these companies and these companies are sometimes in very niche tech so how much time is actually spent i guess with research and making sure that you're forecasting correctly and i'm curious to also know like at the angel investor level and then when you actually get to a syndication level like how you mature so the diligence the research process is incredibly time consuming right and and uh it is the most time or effort consuming activity that we spend our, our time on when we select investments. Now that said, the amount that goes into the actual financial part of it is relatively little, right? We actually look more holistically into all of these things, right? On the financial level, I'm saying, okay, what are your revenues? What is gross profitability and, and what is growth? And how big do I think the market is that, that you can kind of like grow into a big enough company that makes sense for me? The things that we like that we spend our time looking on is also their business model. We like businesses like software, or I also like businesses in APIs because of my background and expertise, because these businesses have this idea of up capturing upside in customers, right? It, like selling a, a SaaS solution, you might be license-based, or an API business might monetize on a usage basis. But as a customer grows, you move to a higher license tiers or you charge accordingly to like usage, right? So, so the economics get better on a customer level as they scale as well, right? So you monetize accordingly, which is a really nice trade. We don't really like, um, as opposed to something like a product business, which is like sell one unit, get $1 or, or whatever that number is. So I think that's generally the question. I think your first question around the analysis part and the other part around going from an independent angel into running syndicates, I think it takes that effort up to another level, but that effort is well worth it, right? I'll, I'll explain why. When you move from being an independent angel to running your own syndicate, uh, essentially, you are now investing with uh, other investors' money, right? So there's this burden of proof and responsibility on you as the lead to piece the deal together and to prove the case that this investment makes sense. So I will tell you that learning from this experience has 
taken our diligence game to like a whole other level. And, and I, I'm thankful for it because we learn something new in every single deal. It, it's really fantastic exposure, but generally I think it's a great skill set to nurture. So before you did angel syndication, it was kind of like, yeah, like it's your money. Like you'll kind of, okay, I think it's kind of good. And it's, so there's not that burden, like, okay, it's your loss, but I guess once you get into syndication, you have to be much more thorough than before because you're handling other people's money and that burden forces you to be more well-disciplined and really tick off every little part. Yes, uh, that is true. But there's also a a, uh, risk-reward component to this, right? So with angel syndicates, uh, the business model essentially is on profit share. So the concept in the industry is called carried interest. And effectively, it says that the syndicate will take X percent of the upside in any deal if, if there's a profitable exit. So in that sense, you know, I am aligned with investors or syndicate leads in general are aligned with investors. So it behooves us to do great diligence because we want to hit those winners, right? Because if our investors win, so do we. Uh, and we know happy investors will introduce their network to us, which is, you know, it's great. What about when there isn't an exit at the end and we've put money into the table? Say I've invested into your syndicate. There's a risk there because of the way that you're investing into much more smaller early stage companies. And we always hear it in the market that, you know, only 10% of companies really, you know, become anything substantial so is isn't there like you know a 90 percent risk that the money that we put into angel syndication or if we put are an angel investor we've got are we taking a 90 percent risk of potentially failing or is that a wrong way to look at it no it's it's absolutely the right way to look at it right um but but this is the game the reality is that not every not every startup that we invest in is going to result in a profitable exit a number of them will fail. And even if the ones that don't fail, they might go into a purgatory, right? They go into this limbo state where they're not quite big enough to exit or be quiet. They're not that attractive. And they sort of exist and you never get a, a return or, or a substantive return at all. Um, and, and I think all angel investors have to be uh, aware of that risk, right? And we're very transparent with it. The, the game is you put a bunch of, you know, five or 10K checks into the uh, in, into different companies. You want to hit the ones that pay out 10, 20, 50 or 100X that make up for, for all the losers in the portfolio, right? That is what we play for. Um, so it is a, a numbers game uh, and investors need to be comfortable with that dynamic. They need to be able to diversify and, and accept that risk. What we do for our part as uh, syndicate leads is find great deals, perform good diligence, piece together a thesis and to be transparent with investors so that they feel equipped to make a decision. So why wouldn't I just go and invest into ETFs? Mm -hmm. What's the advantage of not taking a mature ETF that pays it? X percent year on year, it's had five years of history. Why would people consider instead of ETF go into angel syndication? So the magnitude of returns are, are completely different, right? Let's look at this from 
three different angles. One is like passive ETF uh, equities investor. You can be an angel investor or you can run syndicate leads, right? The, or you can run your own syndicate. The answer differs on, on each. Basically, if you are investing in an ETF, there's nothing wrong with the product. It, it's stable. You should definitely put assets in it for a long time because uh, long term because it will pay out a, a steady rate of return. But it's not an exciting rate of return, right? We're looking at, I don't know, 5% a year or something compounded. Um, so at 5% a year, for example, it would take you 14 or 15 years to double your money. Right. Put in contrast, some of the more successful startups in my portfolio, one in particular, uh, I invested at a seed stage and they've turned unicorn. I'm confident that when this company exits via an IPO or, or they get acquired, it's going to be a hundred multiplier on my money. Right. So we're talking about seven figure returns and, you know, a literal hundred X type multiplier like you would never live enough years to get that return on an etf right to take it one step further why do a syndicate i think syndicates have this powerful quality of uh getting capital leverage right as the syndicate lead right instead of investing 10 20 30k of your own money into a single deal you're able to aggregate that and to invest easily six figures so now with the upside, the carried interest concept, we effectively are able to generate significant six or seven figure returns without having to hit those 100x multipliers, right? Those, those kinds of returns are probably one in 10,000 events or, or even less, right? Uh, but yeah, that would be the argument for me for running a syndicate. Okay, so your journey is we've gotten from angel, now angel syndication, you can now write much more larger sums of money because you've got more capital to play with. But how much effort is there to set up an angel syndication? Say we actually went through the process of being an angel investor and going, okay, you know what? This 100x seems incredible. Like I'd love to play. You know, it could be a gamble, people might say, but I, I have the risk appetite. So what are we talking and actually, you know, being able to set something like this up? So the honest answer is that building and scaling your own syndicate the right way, and I stress the right way, takes an incredible amount of effort. But there's a reason that it takes so much effort. The reason is that nobody currently on the market thinks of building and scaling syndicates as a standalone discipline. Think about education curriculum for venture today. They solve two general problems in the industry. One is it's zero to one. You want to get into angel investing. Here are all the basics out there, right? Here's what you need to know, the nomenclature, how the economics work, etc. And so you've got programs like Kaufman Fellows or um, Venture University that you know, fill this space and it's valuable. It's super valuable. I've been through them. I've learned a lot from these programs. On the other end, you've got organizations like Going VC or even On Deck has a program where they want to help angel investors crack venture capital, like go raise your own fund or get a VC job. 
And I think that syndicates sit in the middle and no one really addresses that today. And for me, it boggles my mind. I'll tell you why. In the US, there are two dominant platforms that move syndicate money. One is AngelList, the other is Assure. They're very closely tied organizations because Assure actually design and operate the back office for AngelList syndicate operations. These two groups, in a given year, they move about $13 billion a year, primarily syndicate money. And so every single one of their users was like me. We all went out there with a bunch of try-hard men and women that you know, decided we want to build our own syndicates and we hacked away at the problem. And, and for the life of me, I can't believe that nobody is sharing best practices like go Google it. There's no coherent framework thinking, right? And, and that kind of was the genesis of why I thought having Angel School was such an important proposition. Because to the original question, how hard is it? It's really hard. And it's because nobody shares this thinking, right? And so I want to solve that. So we want to make it easier is the answer. With Angel School, you are helping angels to propel into be able to do their own angel syndications. And I guess my question to you is why not just kind of let it be? Why not, you know, um, be a dominant player? You keep doing your syndication. Why do you want to create more competition for yourself? I don't really see it as competition, right? Here's my take. I think that in the venture space, capital availability is not the problem. I think the world has plenty of capital. It is about market frictions that stops great companies from getting funded. Right? That is my core belief. Um, I further believe that syndicates have a vital function in tech ecosystems around the world to aggregate and move that capital to where it should go. I guess the third point I would make is that I believe that every syndicate lead worth their salt should be thesis driven. Right? The only way you're going to really find and pick winners is if you have some kind of focus. You can't spray and pray and be, um, you know, quote unquote, a generalist investor and, and be opportunistic, you know, invest in NFTs because the market is hot and then, um, or creator economy the next day. It's like, I don't think you will find alpha that way. So the point of that being, I will invest in my sphere of the world, like the areas that I think I am good at and can pick winners, which basically means that there are a lot of other companies that I can't help. And I think it'd be a great thing in general for other investors to be able to help these companies through their own syndicates. And that's effectively why I share this knowledge. You talk about a thesis. And is that something that you teach at Angel School to help an angel investor to get into syndication is how to sort of build out a thesis and what one should look like? Because it seems like that's quite important, especially as you go into syndication, that you're really clear on who, what, what you're doing and what your appetite is. Yeah. From a first principles basis, absolutely, right? We have four first principles that we teach. One of them is to be thesis driven. And that thesis can certainly evolve over time. 
it doesn't have to be a, a fixed static thing, but I think for the purposes of being credible and knowledge in, in what you're doing, you should absolutely have a thesis because it also allows you to communicate more credibly out to your network, right? And build a network of like-minded investors who also believe in your thesis. What else do you teach at Angel School exactly? Like what's special about, you know, going through your school as opposed to, I don't know, looking through YouTube or, you know, self-learning? Yeah. So let me paint you a scenario, right? And this will illustrate why building and running a syndicate is kind of difficult. Imagine that you are an angel investor, you've done some investing, and you've got some indications that you're kind of good at it. And you have a network of other people who say like, okay, Mel, I'm really interested in what you're building. I'd love to see your deal flow. And you go, aha, light bulb moment. I'm onto something. I should go build my syndicate because there are people willing to give me capital. Great. Take it a step further. You then find a company that you think is really great. And now you want to share that with your network. So here are the questions that you need to solve. One is you need to ultimately decide how much you want to invest in that company. And so let's work backward from that one point that you're trying to solve. And this number that you're trying to guess at, you want it to be the optimal number, which basically for a syndicate means how much capital will my investor network invest in this company in, in aggregate, right? And with a syndicate, you've got a whole bunch of unknowns in this. Right? You essentially need an investor network, you need to engage them somehow, and then you need to compel them into an investment. And you, on day one, you don't know any of these variables. So if you've got three unknowns and you're trying to like solve for A plus B plus C equals X, and, and you don't know any of these things. And so as an example, this is one example we use, you know, we've developed techniques to help take the guesswork out of this. We're trying to help you raise as much money as possible into a deal without overreaching, without overselling. We have figured out how to build a funnel around measuring and what the metric should look like for conversion in each one of these stages. We have developed processes and uh, frameworks and tools to make sure that you can compel an investment, right? How do you force or nudge investors towards a decision and say like, hey, you know, you need to commit capital, right? And not leave it open, um, hanging in the air. So that would be one example of what we do. So you actually teach the marketing funnel of how do you actually raise money? What's one of the most difficult point of angel syndication? Is it the raising the money the most, you know, and building a network of people that want to fund you? Or is it the founders you end up, you know, having to work with? Like what's the most difficult part of, you know, maybe potentially running a syndicate? I think the answer to that changes over time. So I don't want to be the guy that says it depends to everything, but your bottlenecks changes change at different phases of your syndicate, right? My view is this. I think when you're starting out, the hardest part, the, the critical part that you need to solve is building that initial investor network. Then it's about testing the engagement and the metrics of your investor network, right? 
right? So we not only know what metrics to test for, but also what best practices look like. I think if you can do that and you make sure that you're on track, now you can start focusing on deal flow, right? So it feels like those are the right stages for me. Number one is build the network. Number two, test metrics. Number three, it's about scaling and growing that, right? Yeah, and I think if you can do that in a series of, of you know, two or three loops, you actually can get up and running. Is sourcing the deals difficult? Because if you're kind of building a network, but you don't have the deals to show them, you're kind of just building a network, right? And so, you know, finding good deals with good concepts, more difficult than actually building a network, like which one would you say is more difficult than the other? Or are they equal? Uh, they're both critically important. Um we haven't talked about this. So one of the, the nicest parts about syndicates, once they're up and running, is that we've seen uh, what I call self-reinforcing growth, right? So the idea is that once you get your syndicate to a critical mass, a certain size, it should grow on its own, right? And I know this from my own experience uh, and also from the students that I teach, right? We see the exact same pattern where the network grows over time through referrals, if you set it up correctly, which basically means that now growing the network is not the issue. It's not a problem at all, in effect, which by default leaves finding deal flow and, and hustling on, on that side of the, the equation, the challenging bit, right? But the nice part is that now we can focus on one thing. So it's, it's in stages. You'll start with network, then you'll have to hustle for really good deals. But if you really find good deals, it will naturally keep growing, it sounds like. And then it will just be perpetuating like any business. You, said, you talked about critical mass. What is critical mass in your mind of an angel syndicate? I think critical mass um, happens in, in different stages. The first one, to run your first syndicate, your first deal, you probably need 50 to 70 investors that would be paying attention to, to what you're doing, right? So, so that's stage one. Now, if that works and you get a deal done, the next set of critical mass is probably about 150 to 200. We're, we're basically doubling up that network. On this second loop, what we can observe or what we should observe on that level is uh, referral effects. Is your collective investor network starting to tell uh, their, their network about you, right? Because if you can prove it, you just need the numbers to observe those effects, right? Then at 150 to 200, you should get a few referrals already. And, and if you can do it on that second loop, then it's like, okay, you're probably in good hands, right? And you can just repeat. I've got a question about how high is the risk versus the reward? You know, is it really worth it, this whole, you know, angel investing in angel syndication? Do you think that the risk is so high, the reward is, yes, it's a lot, but who is it for, really? Is it for a particular type of individual who just has that appetite for risk? And they maybe they just do want to invest into the ecosystem because they love startups and it's not just about an ROI. What's the, you know, crux of it, of why... Maybe people even consider angel investing or angel syndication at all. So I think ultimately it comes down to an individual calculus, right? No doubt angel investing is 
high risk, it's illiquid, and you know, already right there, you might be going like, why the hell does anybody do this, right? There's, there's gotta be better ways to, to make money. Um, and you're probably right. Uh, I feel that people that do this, it does go beyond like the ROI, like you say, right? Uh, but it's not pure risk-seeking either. Very often we do this because we are passionate and we believe in something greater beyond like a, a pure financial return. Take, for example, the idea of, of impact investing, right? People that want to do social good with, with their capital. And I think that, you know, gives a pretty good illustration that investing is more than just about financial return. Now, the argument for running your own syndicate, I, I think is different, right? The way I look at it, running your syndicate is about shifting the risk reward in your favor as a syndicate lead, right? Going back to the point of, hey, having a syndicate lets you aggregate capital. Basically, you're deploying more capital into with, with less personal capital at risk and capturing higher upside, right? So you know, potentially it's higher profitability with, with less risk, right? And so that's a, a pretty good reason for why you should take that next step if you like really want to do this. And what if it all seems like it's really hard work, what you said? It sounds like it takes a couple of years of effort before you reach critical mass. Is that right to assume that? I think you could do it a lot faster than that. If the goal with the program I teach is to exactly help angels avoid all the mistakes and take all the learning time away as much as possible so that we can make this as efficiently as possible. For somebody who started from zero and over the last two and a half years, here's where we've grown, right? Or, or less than two and a half years. Uh, I've built an investor network of zero to 800 plus. Today, we are between 800 and 850 uh, investors in our network. Our investors are super engaged, right? Our email open rates when we share deal flow is around 66%. It's crazy high. The amount of capital that we deploy into startups has, has probably increased about 3x, right? You know, we've gone from a 100, 150K check to maybe half a million dollars. And so you can see how over time, the upside also increases, right? Because now the amounts that we're deploying um, also increase, which helps our risk reward. All this to say that I think an angel investor who really leans into this can crack their first syndicate in six months or less. Wow. Okay. I guess what I was thinking is if you don't have the time, though, to do this every day, it could be. It sounds like it's a hustle. Like, how long did it take you to build the 800 LP networks? You must have been on calls, talking to people, meeting people to go and have 800 people in your network, right? How did you even find 800 people to come in and receive your information or be interested in you? Was there multiple meetings that you were having to introduce and talk and so forth? Sure. As with everything, starting out is always the hardest. Zero to one sucks, right? It, it's terrible. You just have to grind it out. I actually only had to grind that out to that first level of critical mass that we talked about, right? You know, how long does it take you to have 
50 to 70 close contacts that, that you've spoken to about what you do. Actually, not that long. You could do it in, you know, a couple of months, just hustle out a few every single day. Right. So I think that's that's really solvable. What we notice actually is that after we ran our first deal, we started getting these referral effects, right? And that's what's actually carried us from, let's say, 100 plus all the way to 800, right? I'm not hustling for new people and trying to convince them. There are people who have been introduced to me and it's just, they just join our, our network that way. In your course, do you reveal exactly how to build that network? Do you give away secrets that have worked for you? 100%. Okay. That's awesome because I guess that's always, you know, the scary part. And then do you give away, this is how I'm going to source the deal in depth. So, because I guess that's the part that you might say, yeah, some people might be good at that and hustle and find people, but some people are like, where the hell do I start? Like, are you asking me to go and find emails of people on angel.vc? Are you asking me to go on LinkedIn and reach out to randoms? Like, and if I do, how do I do follow-up and how do I make sure they actually opt in? Like, is that all details shared in your course step-by-step step. so someone if they do decide to do it it's really in-depth analysis so they can go in confidently and understand that because I guess that's the crux of it if you can understand that then you could confidently do a syndication if you've got the time yeah absolutely I mean I will say that um, all of the students that I teach everybody's got a main gig right but everybody loves this enough that they're willing to put in that you know side hustle energy into this our curriculum and program is getting better all the time, right? And, and we cover things that don't immediately seem obvious that a lot of the students didn't even realize it was a thing. Here's an example. If you're building out your investor network, my recommendation is always speak to people who you know directly first, right? It's really simple because if you can't convince somebody who knows you, you're not going to be able to convince a stranger. It's that simple. So we would help you with things like your professional messaging and your pitch, right? I've got a framework script in 30 minutes. You should be able to convincingly communicate to somebody in your network what you do and why they should pay attention to your deal flow, right? I'll even hop on calls with the students, right, and, and coach them through that and, and help them find pointers for them, right? And so these are things that you wouldn't expect to be covered, but, you know, we do it and we're trying to get better at it all the time. Awesome. Okay, I've got some questions for you that I'm just going to put to you and then you can give a short answer so we can kind of do a quick um, couple. Lightning round. So, yeah. yeah, lightning round. What is the biggest misconception of angel investing? That would be people think you need to you know, have worked in VC or, or something like that in order to be successful. What is the elements of a unicorn that you can maybe see early on? I'd say high level, it's three things, right? We're looking at a, a huge enough market. We're looking at evidence of product market fit that the startup has a proposition that the market wants. And we're looking at growth. How quickly can they get there? How do you know that it's got a product market fit exactly? Is that just revenue? The cleanest signal is, is willingness to pay. That would be one. Uh, another one is if you raise prices, will customers continue to pay? Should you invest in both the share market and angel investing to diversify your risk? 
Absolutely. <laughs> the equities markets are, are more liquid, they're safer, but they play lower return. If you're interested in angel investing, allocate a proportion of your assets and consider that walk away money in case you lose it all. Top three metrics you look at when you first come across a deal. Business economics, the, the profitability. I'm looking for um, upside in the business, as in, do you monetize more, like account expansion? Uh, and number three, growth rate. When you're starting out as an angel, what type of check should you start writing out at? Like five, 10, 15, where should you start? Here's my view. I think there are a lot of different perspectives. Uh, I think that if you're going to jump into angel investing, you should firstly be only investing in throwaway money, like casino money. The second thing is you should be investing at a level that generates life-changing outcomes. So here's what it means for me. Um, go look on AngelList. The average check might be, I don't know, two, $3,000. If you invest in a company, they turn out great. You get a 100x return on your money, which is amazing. A $2,000 investment generates you $200,000. It's a bit so what, in my view. It's nice, but it's not life-changing. So for me, life-changing means, I don't know, I'd say 5000 and up. What kind of founders do you think make unicorns? Are they a little bit crazy that you should be looking out for? Or is there something that you look for in their personalities? I think founders have a much better chance of growing unicorns when it's not their first go around. Right? But obviously, everybody's got to get started somewhere. Um, so for first-time founders, uh, we look for people who really know their space and understand the problem. They, they should have worked in a particular industry, experienced a problem, and are building to solve that problem. And final question, what type of people should become angel investors? I think you should be an angel investor if you want to be involved in something bigger and have a chance at getting a great financial outcome along the way. Awesome. If you liked this conversation, there's a lot more depth, go check out angelschool.vc where Jed has a full program where he goes much more deeper than this with diagrams and depth beyond his very, very detailed. So um, go check it out because I think it's, a super interesting topic that you can just keep learning about. I think we've only covered just the top of the conversation today, but thank you so much, Jed, for sharing so authentically, so openly, and I've learned so much by having this discussion and look forward to when this podcast comes out for everyone else to hear some great insights from you. Thank you, Melly. Thanks for hosting me. I really appreciate it. You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind.